You got to watch these microphones. You don't say anything because somebody has control over them and you just never know. Several years ago, I was sitting down on the pew and I, and I, I won't mention George King's name, but he turned up my microphone and I was sitting there singing and all of a sudden I thought, wait a minute, this is not working. <laughs> and all later, it was, it was kind of funny, but glad that you're here. It is Mother's Day. If you hadn't realized that yet, it's Mother's Day and all. There's a card for you. It's at the Hallmark store. Stop by and see it while you're there, would you? We were checking out at Walmart the other day, and somebody had left a Mother's Day card sitting next to the little conveyor belt. And I said, Paula, there's your Mother's Day card. Read it before we get checked out here. <laughs> I do miss the days when we, everybody wore a rose. And all, if your mother was living, you wore a red rose. If your mother was deceased, you wore a white rose. All we had were pink roses at home, and I don't know what that meant, really, but we always went out and cut a, a rosebud, and that was kind of special. Yeah, she was kind of iffy at that point, but uh, it's, it's a great day. Always, I think, is worthy of honor that we pause and think about our mothers in that regard, and I hope you do, too. I'm not going to talk so much about mothers today. Typically on a, a Mother's Day, I try to draw a lesson that surrounds mothers in particular, and they are a part of the lesson today, but I think for a different reason. I call this lesson Salt and Light. Salt and Light, it all begins at home. You can imagine that I draw off a passage that, of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Notice with me what he has to say in verse 13, Matthew 5, beginning of verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You may look at a passage like that and you may say, what in the world does that have to do with what you're talking about exactly? You can throw salt and light out there as a title and so there you got it made and it's done, but that's not exactly it. But the idea is it begins somewhere. It all begins at home. If you go back to the 1970s, and I know a lot of you can't go back that far, some of you can go to the 1870s, but in the 1970s, in the I didn't pick out anybody in particular, but in the 1970s, Carl Burkeen, Dr. Carl Burkeen, and Dr. Paul Faulkner from Abilene Christian began to put, to put a lot of effort into the rebuilding of marriages and families. What they saw was what I think we all saw, that a lot of Marriages, the divorce rate was spiraling, uh, uh, single, home, single parent homes were growing, children were not being attended as they were. A lot of problems within the homes were developing and breaking up the, the homes. One of the things that they did was to produce a series of, at that time, films, but ultimately they came out in a little study book that Sweet Publication put out that's still out there, I believe, and you may have had a copy of it or may still have a copy. I think I do somewhere in the, the jumble of those books on the shelves. But the 
title of the book that I really wanted to emphasize was the question that arose. It says, what every family needs, but especially what happened to mom, dad, and the kids. Now that's in the 1970s. 1970s. Some of you can calculate how long ago that was. We're talking about nearly 50 years ago. Whatever happened to mom, dad, and the kids? So 50 years, and 50 years since then, we see some things that maybe were beginning to unfold then. But even 50 years ago, there was evidence that the, the biblical family dynamic was, was declining. It was in serious trouble. And in spite of religious and even secular efforts in the 50 years since then, in spite of that, it remains in serious trouble. The decline of the God-designed family has continued to disintegrate. We've had efforts to make men be men, to stand up and be the responsible men, to keep their promise, promise keepers, million men marches, all kinds of things of secular and religious nature have been out there. There have been marriage and family seminars held in congregations, churches, and in societal things. We've had counselors try to develop families for many years. And still we see the struggle that's out there. William Ross Wallace, and this ties into Mother's Day, I guess. William Ross Wallace wrote a poem. And in that poem, he inserted the line that goes with the title as well, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. So as we kind of have mothers on the forefront of our mind, we, we begin to see within this there is a founding example and a founding influence on shaping what each of us becomes in our lives. And that's why this one is so important. This is not to undermine fathers in any way because we're talking about the whole of the family here. For when you think about it, when we look at our mothers and have looked at our mothers, and when we have looked at our parental groups, our parents, our mothers, our fathers, and when we have even looked at our family connections, our siblings and so forth, we may have considered the old line to be somewhat provincial, archaic, old-fashioned. Maybe even as young people we have thought that we would never want to be like our parents exactly. We would never want to utter to our children the things that were uttered to us by our parents. We would never want to exact the same kind of discipline that may have been exacted on us. Now, some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. But those of us of a little bit older generation, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. But in spite of thinking we would never be like our parents, we constantly began to hear our parental words and actions. We heard the words coming out of our mouths, and we saw ourselves acting in many ways like our parents did. There's a part of us, I think, that looks to our family days, even if they are former family days, and long for the quality of life that we had then, the comfort, the security that was a part of our life. For you see that, you see that cultural impression is carried with us, marking us, and always calling to us, no matter what is going on round about us in our society. And I think we often find those of us who have made our way well into adulthood, and some of us beyond, 
As adults, we may well find ourselves comparing the lives that we live today with the lives which were led much earlier. I don't think we can avoid it. And maybe we long for it. And so this ties to what Jesus has to say, and that's what I want to get to. If we are to be, if we truly are to be described as he does for us, as salt and light, there is no doubt where it begins. The training, the understanding, the influence, and the example of it begins at home. You see, my friends, there are qualities that make a difference in the world, in the way we behave, in the way we conduct ourselves. Jesus didn't just choose these or throw these out at random. Consider very carefully salt and light. Each one of these adds a great value to our life in its own way. We don't think as much about salt. In fact, for some time we've heard, we've heard, uh, been told we're not by our doctors. We've heard from them. That was hard to say. Couldn't get that to come out of my mouth. Anyway, we've been told that too much salt's bad for you. We need to cut back on the salt. But you know what? The other end of it is at least as bad. If you don't have enough salt or sodium in your system, and I know the two are not the same, but they're related, if you don't have enough sodium in your system, you have all kinds of problems. Several years ago, not a couple of years before he passed away, my father began to have some problems. One of his great problems was a lack of sodium. And the doctor couldn't explain it much other way to him. He says, your salt level is low. And so my dad went around and told everybody he could, you need to get plenty of salt. Put more salt on it. Put more salt on it. He didn't fully understand what was going on. But what happened was, physically, he was not able to function very well, lost a lot of his physical functionality, and his mental functionality deteriorated greatly because of the lack of sodium as he said, salt in his system. What I'm just trying to say to you, it is an important aspect of our lives. We don't live without salt, without either light or salt. Life is impossible. But you think about how important salt was, how important salt was in so many places and so many times. You go back a few generations and... uh, We didn't have the easy access to salt that we have today. You don't think about it as one of the cheapest things you can buy in the store today. Go in and buy a box of salt. doesn't cost very much. But there was a time when it was a precious commodity. Very precious and very expensive. Because they often, if they were far away from the sea, or even if they were near the sea, had to get large pots. And they would boil these large pots of seawater until it was down to nothing left but the salt that was left after the water was completely boiled away. But it took a huge amount of seawater to get very much salt. And so it was a long, time-consuming process to get this salt, and so it became a very expensive thing. And when it was found in other places, it was still very difficult. And salt was traded like gold, and it was about as expensive as gold. And if you had some salt, it was as precious as gold. You secured it. 
But even aside from the economics, salt also had cultural and religious significance. You can look at various religions around the world even today, and you find that many of them tied to salt. But Shintoism used it to purify things. Buddhists used salt to repel evil spirits and so forth. But that's the mindset that was in there. Even in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, we find the use of salt and tie it into sacrifices and tie it into offerings and so forth. Uh, one of the most famous statements in the Bible is, of course, remember Lot's wife. And what happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt. In fact, if you visit that, that area today, they'll point out a pillar and tell you that's Lot's wife. Well, she's getting kind of old now and doesn't look as good. That's not, I wouldn't believe their words on it, but a pillar of salt. Interesting that he would choose a pillar of salt in that way. But you might recognize even in Roman times, it was used as salary. It's part of how it got its name, salary, from which the word comes. And we use the phrase even today, we say, that guy's just not worth his salt. Yeah, you know exactly. That's where it comes from, because he's not worth his pay. So salt, very important, very involved. And we still use the phrase towards people we enjoy, they are the salt of the earth. And what is there to say about light when we're talking about salt and light? What is there to say about light? We think of being without light as being truly bad. And we know things don't grow, don't live, don't do well where there is not light. But we've always associated it with the negatives. If you've ever read H.E. Wells' book, The Time Machine, you recognize the name of the Morlocks who lived in darkness. But they were considered rough, hard, and, and, and oppressive, and so forth. And I know that's just a fantasy, but it's emblematic of how we see light and the importance of light. Because light is almost always seen as life-giving, as positive, as good, as opposed to evil. Enlightening, always for the better. And isn't it interesting But that the first recorded words we have of God are let there be light. Interesting. It's not a wonder we look at light from a very positive from a very positive standpoint because it is a part of the very beginning and Jesus addressed Jesus here addressed two of the most needed elements and their qualities of life and used them and used them as a metaphor for the character of the godly life but the message I want you to hold on to the message I want you to hold on to is that it begins at home Salt and light begins at home. Pardon the borrowing of a a phrase, but what happens at home doesn't stay at home. What happens at home is not hidden away at home. That's true of Vegas, too. I don't care what the commercial says. What happens at home doesn't stay at home. If you've got little children, if you've got little children growing up in your home, they don't know what it is to keep a secret. They don't know what it is to not tell everything that happens at home, everything that mom and dad say and everything that they see done. That's what children do. They are prone to tell every private and every public thing they can because what happens at home doesn't really stay at home. But it shows that lives are lived. And we want that to be seen. We expect children... And children of the home to be a reflection 
of their home life. Think of how they spoke of Jesus, even as they began to hear him speak and were amazed at his speaking and the miracles that took place. And they said, isn't this, isn't this the boy that grew up here? Isn't this Mary's, isn't this the carpenter's son? You see, they're looking at him and they're expecting a certain behavior in his life and that was not exactly what they were seeing. But it is still true that home is the incubator of life and character. It helps us determine what we're going to be. Robert Fulgham wrote, and it was popular several years ago, everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. Very popular little deal in his books that he put out after that. And there he identifies some of the common lessons learned early in life. And yes, school and social engagements may enhance and may identify and may make clear some things, but I got to tell you, it is home that plants that seed. It is home that puts the ideas there. That it, it is home that determines what we are going to believe and what we're not going to believe for a great portion of the things in our life. I think about that prodigal who had taken his inheritance and gone away from home in the story that Jesus tells of that wandering lost son. And when he had wasted all the, the goods that he had and when he had no one to care for him, remember where his mind went? Home. In my father's house, he said. We don't have a mention of his mother, but I have no doubt, influential. In my father's house, and where is he going to go? When everything else is awry in life, when everything else is turned in a different direction, when everything else is not going the way he wants, where is he going to go? Home. Because that is the incubator of life. That is where we know things can be set aright. So I offer to you, let home be a special place. Let our homes be a special place. Let them be the incubator that they are supposed to be. Let them be places of faith and peace. Home should be the place that builds the faith that Paul says brings the peace to our lives. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Let our homes be the place that build the strength of faith that ensures the peace that we need and want in our lives. Let our homes be a place of correction. Yes, correction. We need instruction. We need to be chastised from time to time. We need to not spare the rod on ourselves or one another figuratively and sometimes maybe even, oh I might get in trouble for that, a little bit literally not talking about beatings, but correction. Stop worrying about whether we're going to hurt somebody's feelings by telling them the truth. Paul said, have I made you an enemy by telling you the truth? Correction. We need to learn the value of correction that saves lives from disasters. It was Jesus who said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish to the people of his generation as he spoke. So let home be a place of correction, and let home be a place of forgiveness. It needs to have an open door. That is probably the most powerful learned gift that we will ever have to share with one another outside of salvation. And that, too, is tied to what? Forgiveness. But forgiveness is not an opportunity of abuse. Just because you can be forgiven again and again and again doesn't mean you have a right to go out and abuse those who would forgive you. 
We have that again and again in Scripture, though God is ever forgiving. He doesn't stand for your abuse, nor should we in our homes. But it should be an open door of opportunity where forgiveness stands ready to be administered. And let our homes be a place of protection. For home is where our lives are sheltered, protected, guarded from dangers that are outside the figurative and literal doors. We need to allow our homes to be a place in a sense of hiding. As Paul says of Christians, your lives are hid with God in Christ. You're with God in Christ. It is a place of protection in Him where we are never, never far from His strength, character, and protection. And let our homes be a place of unlimited love. We put no boundaries on that love. It is where the dynamics of love are expressed regardless of the reason. I think about that woman who was brought to Jesus who was branded an adulteress. Said we've caught her in adultery. Branded an adulteress. She's brought to Jesus. Jesus' words that ring out, you know, let the one without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. And ultimately, as he looks up from his writing in the dirt, he says, where are your accusers? She says, I have none. He says, neither do I accuse you, but, but go now and don't sin. Unlimited love is an open door of opportunity. One of the most beautiful passages in all the scripture, I think it's found in the latter end of the eighth chapter of Romans where he sums it up by saying there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. A mother's love, a father's love, a family's love for one another should be something of unlimited love. It doesn't put boundaries around it. It says, I'll love you if, I'll love you until. It's not about the twelfth of never. It is just about meeting the need of someone's life with your love and so I offer it to you salt and light where does it begin it begins at home lives that have the character that are needed for living it begins at home as I said a little while ago the prodigal knew that he could go home he knew he could go home oh how many of us would love to go back to a moment wouldn't you go back to a time, go back to a place, to revisit that again. Maybe of my generation you still hear the strains of take me home country roads to the place that I belong. There is no place this side of heaven that is more important than home. If someone questions whatever happened to mom, dad, the kids, the answer ought to be their home. And so I leave with you. To be salt and light in the world, it must begin with home. And wherever we are in our lives, however far we've gone, whether we've strayed or whether we've been on the right path wherever, the drawing place ought to be home. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, Come home. It's a great day. It's a great day to remember, to reflect on home, life, mothers. And I hope it's a very special thought in your mind. Maybe you too are drawn a little bit home.
This morning we will sing again a song of encouragement. Let it one, be one of invitation as well. If there's someone here that needs to respond, we, we're anxious to help you, to assist you what, what, with whatever your need might be this day. Let us encourage you. Let us be a door of opportunity. And if you need to come publicly this morning, won't you do so while we stand, while we sing together?